Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you and a special welcome to you if you're here for the first or the second time. It doesn't matter how many times you come. If you consider yourself kind of newer to Ebenezer, then welcome here. We're glad that you've taken time to come and join us. Also, I want to say hi to those who are watching online. Thank you for joining us and making us a part of your worship experience this morning. Uh, If you're online, please take a moment and type something in the comment bar so that our online hosts know you're there. I know when we're online, we tend to just keep quiet, kind of hide behind our screens. But if you're watching online, Go ahead and take the time, type a comment in the, in the bar, and then that way we can acknowledge you and then know that you're joining with us. Um, if you're watching at some other time online, then thank you for tuning us in. Now, if you don't know me, my name is Cal. I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here, as well as the privilege of guiding us through God's Word today as we close our Taste It Again series. Now, this past season has been incredibly difficult for all of us and in various ways. There's probably no greater time We need to experience the words of David in Psalm 34, where he writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I have to admit that these last several years, and certainly the last year and a half, and even the last several months, have been extremely difficult for me personally, for a variety of reasons. And I know my natural tendency in times of difficulty, in times of challenge, in times of uncertainty, in times of stress and pressure, I know my natural tendency is to, to take my focus off of God, off of his character, and yes, his goodness, and to drift, be it ever so slowly, further and further away from him. And no matter where we might be at in our own spiritual journey, no matter where we might be at in in terms of our own circumstances of today, when we drift, we move further and further away from God and His goodness. So again, I don't know where you're at, but I know for myself, I need to remind myself and experience the goodness of God, perhaps more today, perhaps more than ever today than I've ever had to in my entire life. Now, if you've been tracking with us over the past several weeks, you'll know that this series is meant to be both a time of teaching and a time of experience. We've tried to each week create kind of what we call the taste experience so that we can not only learn about how we can taste and see again that the Lord is good, but we can kind of take some small steps here while we're together here on a Sunday to experience the goodness of God with the intention then that you take these things and take them into your weekly lives and continue to grow more and more, and continue to experience God more and more. So far in our series, we've been challenged to taste the goodness of God, perhaps some of you for the very first time. We've seen and heard by testimony that even in the most difficult of times, goodness only comes from, in fact, goodness is defined by the very nature and character of God. And then we've challenged and encouraged you to taste again the goodness of God through fellowship with the family of God through experiencing the power of prayer, and then experiencing the wonder of worship. Now this week, as we close the series, we're going to look at, look at this. We see and experience the goodness of God when we engage 
with the mission of God. We taste and experience the goodness of God when we engage with the mission of God. Now, you might right away be wondering, why have we chosen this as our final closing topic in terms of experiencing the goodness of God? See, unlike the, unlike the other areas that we've already discussed, the areas of fellowship and prayer and worship, engaging in God's mission doesn't at least intuitively seem that's something that would help us to taste or, or taste again the goodness of God. However, I would actually argue that mission and the mission of God is foundational and is a foundational piece in truly understanding the goodness of God. And, in, and when we engage in his mission, we truly experience the goodness of God. Now, I've already admitted to, to Pastor Layton and a few of you that my preparation for this message was extremely difficult. It was gut-wrenching, even heart-wrenching at times. And I came in this morning completely unsure of what I was going to say. I mean, I have notes. I've typed out a bunch of stuff. But I'm still not completely settled on how I'm going to approach this. So as we go through, I'll fully admit that this might be a roundabout way of trying to get to where I think we want to land. But just bear with me. I, I hope I can at least close it off well uh, when we get to the end of it. So to start, let's just have a little bit of discussion time with each other. So if you're sitting uh, even just in, in pairs so that we don't take too long, uh, turn to somebody beside you. And I just want you to, to discuss this question. What is the mission of God? What is the mission of God? If you're online, then take a moment and type something in the comment bar. And we're not looking for right or wrong answers. I just want to get some uh, the ideas flowing so that we can kind of come together and, and settle on an idea together. So turn to the person beside you. Just give you one minute to do this. What is the mission of God? Bullet point form if you want. Doesn't have to be a long theological answer. Fire it off. What is the mission of God? Go. One minute. Just another 15 seconds or so to wrap up your thoughts. What is the mission of God? All right. I'm not going to quiz you, so I'm not going to ask you for your responses or anything like that. This is not a test to see, you know, if we're, if we're on the right track or not. This is just, again, a, an idea generator. So um, if my assumptions are correct, there's probably wide and varying um, points of understanding when it comes to defining the mission of God. There's probably as many answers or responses as there are people here and certainly people who are watching online. I would just say personally, as my understanding of the mission of God has grown and as, 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 it, as it has in, evolved, as my understanding and practice of God's mission in my own life and the understanding the church's call to God's mission has grown, my experience, my personal experience, not only of God, but of the goodness of God, has also grown, and I would suggest, in incredible and, and extremely profound ways. Now, there are two key words or two key concepts I believe 
has to be included if we're going to have a full and an accurate understanding of the mission of God and, there, and thereby experience the goodness of God as we engage in his mission. So maybe these two words in some form came up in your discussions. But my two key concepts, which I want to delve into this morning, is this. Glory and gospel. Glory and gospel. And I believe these two concepts must be any, uh, any part must be a part of any definition or understanding we have of the mission of God. So let's unpack these, uh, these concepts now. First, the glory of God. In order to truly understand the mission of God and how it relates to the goodness of God, we need to begin with glory, the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Again, let me ask you to turn to the person that you were just chatting with and discuss. What is the glory of God? Okay, another minute, same thing online, type it in the comment bar, interact with your online host, what is the glory of God? Go. I see some of you just kind of pondering, thinking deeply. Again, we're not looking for right or wrong answers. We're looking for ideas to generate. So just turn to the person beside you. What is the glory of God? Okay, I'll draw your attention back this way. Now, let me just start with a few observations from Scripture about the glory of God. The glory of God is a theme or concept found throughout all of Scripture, right from the beginning, right until the end. There are literally hundreds, perhaps even thousands of verses that reference in one way or another the glory of God. Here's just a few. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Psalm 8 Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. If we jump to the New Testament, Peter refers to God the Father as majestic glory when he says in 2 Peter 1.17, he received honor, uh, referring to Jesus now, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And Paul, when Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, the whole concept of glory is, is, is actually a pretty difficult one to define. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which could be roughly translated as meaning weight or heaviness, with a sense of honor, of, with a sense of honor dignity, uh, being exalted, and being revered. In the New Testament, the word is doxa, and it means repute, praise, or fame. The glory of God is so prevalent in Scripture that some commentators, some scholars actually suggest that the story of the Bible, the entire Bible, is in some sense the drama of God's glory. So God's glory is central to the theme of all of Scripture. One article I read defined the glory of God this way, and I'm not sure it's the best definition, but it's one that, that I felt captured some of the ways I would understand God's glory. Maybe this would be helpful for you. God's glory is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur 
of God's many perfections. Let me say that again. God's glory is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of God's many perfections. So the first thing we need to understand about God's glory is that the glory of God actually reveals the person and the goodness of God. The glory of God is, is one of the ways that God reveals his person and his goodness. So then, how does God reveal his glory? We, let's go back to the beginning, and I mean the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Scripture tells us this. In the beginning, God, what? Created. In the beginning, God created. The very first things revealed to us about what God did, who God was, was that God created. And creation is God's way of declaring his glory. All of creation declares God's glory, and in turn, all creation was made to declare the glory of God. The created is an expression by the creator and a revelation of the creator. And amongst all created things, we, human beings, have been created in a special way and for a special purpose. As we go through the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, we see that everything God created was good. Remember at the end of every day, God said it was good. Day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. But then on day six, God created humankind. And after humankind was created, God said what? He said it is very good. It was very good. So what was it that set us apart from the rest of creation? In Genesis 1.26, God says this. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Nothing else in all of creation, not even the heavenly beings, are created in the image of God. And because of that, we have a unique role to play in the revelation of God's glory. See, immediately after creating Adam and Eve, what's the first command that God gives them? What does it say in, in Genesis 1, 27 and 28? It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, this is the first command he's given us. What is it? Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God tells Adam and Eve to create a race of human beings, a race of image bearers, to be fruitful and to fill the earth. Now, why did he do that? Because there was a lot of empty space, and he said, well, we might as well put people everywhere. There's, there's too much space for just two people. No. Did he do that so that we would have something to do? No. God commands Adam and Eve image bearers of God, image bearers of the glory of God, to fill the earth so that his glory would fill the entire earth. God's desire is that the earth is filled with his glory through each and every one of us. Adam and Eve were originally created as perfect 
image bearers and glory bearers of God. And it was God's desire and plan that through him, his glory would then fill the earth. A little side note here. If it was God's plan to fill the entire earth with his glory through us, his glory bearers, his image bearers, why did God not just create a whole bunch of people to begin with? Why did he just start with two? Now, I'm not getting into the whole marriage and reproduction and all of that kind of stuff. I, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But why did God not create even pockets of people all over the earth? Why not, why not create, instead of two people, why not create hundreds or thousands or, we know the earth, millions? Why not? Here's my take on that question. God created two and gave this command to two because God wanted us and invited us human beings to be a part of his plan. He invites us to join him in the proclamation of his glory all over the earth. God wants each and every one of us, the pinnacle of his creation, to join him in his plan and purpose. So he created us with the ability to commit to one another, to love one another, to enjoy true intimacy with each other, and along with that, the ability to reproduce so that we can be an active part of his plan, which is the proclamation of his own glory. So we not only reveal the glory of God by nature, by the way we're created as God's image bearers, we also reveal the glory of God when we submit ourselves to his plans and his desires for us. That's what God invites us to do. But then a problem arose, and it was the problem of sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they essentially said that the glory of God was no longer going to be their priority anymore. Rather, their own personal glory became their focus. Remember how Satan tempted them in the garden? He said, did God really say that? Talking about the command not to eat of this tree. Did God really say that? Began to question what God had said. And then he said this, Satan said this to Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit from the tree, your eyes will be open and what? You will be like God. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, all creation, including human beings, were no longer capable or able of being uh, no longer able to bring God's glory because we began to draw the glory for ourselves. That leads us to our second word, which is the word gospel. Discussion time again. The gospel of God or the gospel of Jesus. Turn to the person beside you and again, ask for your responses to that question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Same thing online. Type a couple of comments, a couple points in the, in the comment bar. Our online host would love to interact with you. Again, quickly, one minute, discuss. What is the gospel? Go.
I had about another 15, 20 seconds to wrap up your thoughts. Okay, draw you back to, to the front here. What is the gospel? See, with all of creation, and most importantly, human, humankind, human beings, no longer able to declare or proclaim the glory of God because of the problem of sin, God set into motion. Actually, he did it right away. Right after that original sin, God set into motion a plan his plan to restore all things back to the way that he intended and the way he desired. Now that plan, eventually we find out, centers on his one and only son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus willingly left his glory in heaven. He incarnated himself, meaning simply he took on our form. He lived a sinless life. He gave his sin this life as a sacrifice for our sin, and he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. Jesus was our substitute, taking on the punishment we so rightly deserved. And when we trust Jesus Christ for his salvation, when we put our faith in his finished work on the cross, we are brought back into right relationship with, the, with God the Father, and then, and only then, can we glorify God the way he originally intended for, and desired for each of us to do. I want to challenge perhaps some of our current thinking on the gospel. I think in our Western culture and with our Western values, we've, we've kind of skewed what the true gospel really is. In particular, I would suggest we've allowed two values of our current society and our current culture to influence the way we understand and the way we practice the gospel. And those two uh, influences are this. First, the value in our culture of individualism and the value of consumerism. Let me try to explain what I mean. We preach or well, the church in the past, maybe we even we've done it here. Or we share what I would call a very individualistic and a very consumerist gospel. You see, when we think about the gospel, even when we think about to our own um, uh, spiritual journey, our idea of the gospel is often a prayer, asking Jesus into my heart, and that saves my life from an eternity apart from God when we die or when he returns. Now, the decision to follow Christ needs to be made by every person individually. Yes, I get that. But we've kind of created what I call an individualistic gospel. Pray this prayer in your heart. Keep it to yourself. It's between you and God. Yeah, there's still some things wrong with that. At the same time, we've also preached a very consumeristic gospel. It's to keep yourself out of hell. Right? I don't want to go to hell, so I want to accept this Jesus. Its focus is on me and on my afterlife. But is that really what the gospel is about? David Platt, in his book Radical, 
expresses it this way. He says, the modern-day gospel says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Therefore, follow these steps and you can be saved. He would actually even argue that this so-called ask Jesus into your heart prayer is nowhere found in Scripture. Then he'd be correct on that. He continues to say, Meanwhile, the biblical gospel says, You are an enemy of God, dead in your sin, and in your present state of rebellion, you are not even able to see that you need life, much less cause yourself to come to life. Therefore, you are radically dependent on God to do something in your life that you could never do. And he closes with this kind of punch-in-the-gut statement. The former sells books and draws crowds. The latter saves lives. Here's how I would sum it up. The gospel we often preach is a conversion gospel that saves us for one day. But the gospel that Jesus preached and Jesus brought was a commitment gospel that transforms us for today. What did Jesus say when he called his first disciples? He didn't ask about praying a prayer in your heart so that one day you'll be saved. This is what he said to the first disciples. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? Jesus said this, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give, uh, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The gospel is not primarily about my individual happiness or God's plan for my life. It's about God's plan for all of creation. And that's what we have to put into context, that the gospel isn't just about me, it's about something much greater than me. But as we'll see in a moment, it's something that God invites us to be a part of. Jesus, by his very nature, revealed the glory of God, and he declared in no uncertain terms that his purpose was first and foremost the glory of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then Hebrews 1 tells us that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful Word. This is what Jesus said to uh, Martha before uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He then went on to raise Lazarus from the dead, not for his own glory. Scripture actually says that those who are present would believe that God the Father had sent him. In John 14, Jesus tells Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And Jesus, in the final days of his time on earth, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he was about to be betrayed and crucified, spends time with his Heavenly Father, and these are the first things he says to his Father. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, often when we talk about the word uh, or the the, the idea of discipleship or, or transformation or sanctification, we use these words, we're called to become more like Jesus. Right? We're called to become more Christ-like. And that is true. But if we put it in this context, Christ-likeness means, means that we are transforming into the one who revealed the glory of God and who he was and glorified God by doing what God had called him to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives each and every day. Restore us to God's original desire that we become his image and his glory bearers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're all being transformed into his, into Jesus' image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. The glory of God and the gospel of God. Now, again, I tried to make allowance for myself by apologizing at the beginning. I know I've said a lot of things in a very roundabout way. Let me just try to summarize how this all ties in with mission and why mission is key in experiencing the goodness of God. Here's how I would state it. I was have one succinct statement. Maybe I should have started with this and then we'd be done by now. Here's how I would summarize it. The mission of God is the restoration of all creation through the gospel of God for the glory of God. The mission of God is the restoration of all creation through the gospel of God for the glory of God. And here's the one final connecting piece of how and why we taste the goodness of God when we engage in God's mission. The gospel of God reveals the plan of God and God's plan to restore all things to himself for his glory. And that includes each and every person who makes that commitment to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus has actually given us his plan. Us his plan for accomplishing his purposes. Some of you, maybe in your discussion of the gospel or even the glory of God may have made reference to the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Those are God's commands to us to fulfill his purpose. Go and make disciples of all nations is his plan. Our objective then is to become more and more like Jesus, that perfect reflection of God's glory in both character and action, and then to help others do the same. We are called to make disciples so that we continue then to restore what was broken with sin and bring more and more Christ followers, likeness and image, glory bearers of Jesus Christ into this world. Or as a part of this world is probably a better way to express it. And as we do, we experience the goodness of God because we are fully immersed in the plan of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I just want to stop there for a second. No, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. How do we often regard others? Well, maybe just as other humans walking a short path of life. Maybe someone who just bugs you to no end, and, and so you don't want anything to do with them. Or maybe just someone who... 
you know, just, just other, other people who are just happen to be in the same space as you are. Like what Paul's saying is that we, we've got no one from a worldly point of view. We need to begin to see them as potential image bearers and glory bearers of Jesus, of, of God. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness. The substitute of you, the righteousness, the glory of God. You see, mission, even discipleship, are not programs of the church. It's not something we invented because we think it'll be good for you. It will be good for you. But it's bigger than that. Mission and discipleship are God's plan to fill the world with Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory. And as we make disciples, as we engage in the mission of God to make disciples who know how to make more disciples, we actually enter into the ultimate, the ultimate and final purpose of God. And it is there, when we're in the center of that, that we truly taste or maybe taste again that the Lord is indeed good. This morning, we're going to hear testimony from our supported missionaries, Matt and Alicia Weeb. They couldn't be with us. They're off in BC um, uh, visiting some other supporting churches. But I spoke with them. I had lunch with them a few about a month ago. And as they're, they're, um, they're going through a significant change in their ministry. And I sat down to chat with them to hear their heart and why. And, and something very surprising, maybe surprising, surprising to me certainly, maybe surprising to you, things came out. Um, so they've sent us this video. And uh, take a listen. And I want you to catch some of the things they say. In his book titled Knowing God, J.I. Packer points out an important part of our relationships with people. He says, to get to know another person, you have to commit yourself to their company and interests and be ready to identify yourself with their concerns. This is a big part of our developing friendships and relationships with others, finding out what makes them tick, what motivates them, what their purpose in life is, and then finding sh and sharing common concerns and interests. This has been a big part of our mission work as well, as you can imagine. Crossing cultures and getting to know people, finding out uh, how they see the world, how they see themselves. Uh, and it requires a lot of humility as you, as you cross cultures. We have to set ourselves aside uh, and take on some of their concerns, even if they weren't ours before. Developing a friendship with God works in the same way. 
to go deeper in friendship with God is essentially to taste more of his goodness. To do that, we need to acknowledge what is important to him and then become personally and emotionally involved with his concern, even if it wasn't our concern before. God's word tells us that his primary concern is that his son, Jesus, is glorified through our worship. Revelation 5, 9 puts it like this. In heaven, the the inhabitants are singing a song about Christ's worthiness. They say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals and thereby begin the end days because you were slain. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God's great concern in this world is that people everywhere, from every people and nation and tribe and tongue, will recognize the sweetness of Jesus. That's his great concern. And this has become our primary motivation for engaging in his mission. To have a part in seeing Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. As we have taken on his concern, we've gone deeper in friendship with him. And thereby tasted how amazingly good he is. But it hasn't always been this way. In our journey towards missions, our motivation for going has changed. When we obey his word and do what is in front of us, uh, he then teaches us in the process and we experience his goodness towards us and those we minister to. So then seeing his goodness, it then encourages us to take another step. We just finished seven years in Cambodia and thus far our journey has, has been a culmination of taking baby steps in faith and getting to know Jesus in the process. As we get to know him more and more, we take on more of what concerns him. So if you're at a place right now where you don't have God's heart for a mission, or you don't feel equipped, then don't be discouraged. Search out the scriptures to find out what God is concerned about. And take those small steps of obedience in your personal life. So if you're at a place right now where you don't have God's heart for mission or you don't feel equipped to do his ministry, don't be discouraged. Search the scriptures to know God. Take those small steps of obedience in your personal life and ask the Lord to make you concerned about the things that concern him. And as you do those things, he'll lead you along the way and then you will get to see, taste and see that he is good. So we can pray uh, this verse over one another. It's the uh, prayer of Paul for Philemon. Because I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Amen. I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say all the details. Uh, so I just will, will mention that um, Matt and Alicia are looking at a, a new mission field. And one of the things that they said to me when I chatted with them that really stood out in my mind was, they said, I, I'm not there. They said, they're not, 
<laughs> they told me that they don't necessarily feel that they're called to that place. But what they did say was that, I know that when we step out on mission in faith, we experience more and more of God. And so their motive this time for moving to this new field is simply to get to know God more and more. I'll conclude by challenging you to follow up and follow through with what Matt and Alicia have suggested. Simply begin to engage in God's mission by taking baby steps. If you're not sure where God is leading you, if you're not sure who God is leading you to. You see, I think we need to reframe what we think about when we think about the mission of God. The mission of God is not something we ought to do. It's not even something we really need to do. The mission of God is something we get to do. Because God is already at work reconciling all things to himself for his glory. And he invites each and every one of us to join in on what he is doing. And when we willingly engage, God reveals his incredible goodness to us. For some of you, that might mean just a simple step of being intentional with the relationships that God has placed you with, whether they be believers or, I would say, not yet believers. Because in your relationship, you either disciple people toward making a decision for Jesus Christ, and then you disciple people toward maturity in Christ so that they too can begin to disciple others in their walk and continue to, to develop their image-bearing, their glory-bearing of Jesus. For others, it might be deepening your love for God through his word and prayer. Manalee suggested, search the scriptures. See what it is that is of greatest concern on God's heart so that you can capture his heart as well. Maybe we have a very practical opportunity that may be the best where you're at right now, which is simply to engage in our Hearing God series coming up so that you can just spend time listening to God for his directive and, and, and his guidance. God has a plan, and he invites us to be a part of that plan. We need to hear and understand what that is. Or maybe you need some hands-on, and I'm going to use the word missions experience. And again, we need to reframe mission, because mission isn't just about going somewhere, some foreign land, and preaching the gospel, panning out tracts and all that. I'm going to use this language, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Maybe you need some hands-on mission experience, and you can do so by serving right here in our church ministries. And that's not just so we keep a program running, but as you serve others, you, you develop your gifts and your passions. You have opportunity to share by, by word and by deed your faith. You begin to develop a heart for others. I know some of the testimonies I've heard for those who have served in our children's ministry wasn't so much that, oh, I got to do something for them. And all of a sudden, I began to see them as young people who needed Jesus Christ. And maybe by serving, that's one of the ways you can do that. I'll ask the worship team to come up, and they're going to leave. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.